This is the Wesson Walker Show. And a moral lesson is told at the end of each episode. One notable episode is one called The Price, in which a boy buys a drug called Spin. He was smoking that Spin. It's Wes. Becomes addicted to it and dies of an overdose. We need oh, no. more cartoons like that these days for these badass. And Walker. Will these kids die of drugs? Yes, so they can learn their lesson and know not to do it. If somebody fictional dies, they'll learn not to do it in non-fiction. You know what I'm saying? And for that reason, Marshall Bravestar, Tex-Hex, New Texas is straight. Fire! I had the action figure, Bravestar, but my mom wouldn't let me get Tex-Hex. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Oh, come on, Mom. Why didn't you do that? You said it was too demonic. Well, maybe it's because a kid died of drugs. It's Monday. It's the Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Glad that you could join us. Walker Mill joins me right alongside of Josh Fitty Marlowe talking about the Carolina Panthers and all of their troubles. But now it is time to talk some college football and a lot happened this weekend. So let's get right to it. It is now time for the campus. Hona. Walker, let's get going. You are missing your cigar. You are missing your cut-off shirt because the Charlotte 49ers got the job done. They rallied from a 17-0 deficit, took a 33-26 overtime victory over Tulsa. Trexler Ivy, a game for the age. Yeah. 20 of 36, <laughs> 277 yards with a touchdown. Also rushed for a touchdown on the 49ers' last two possessions. He was 6 of 8, 94 yards, pass TD, rush TD, also added a two-point conversion, pass, 18 unanswered points. They put up 10 points in the second quarter. Demetrius Knight had 10 tackles. Dante Balfour had the game ceiling interception. Biff Pogey had a lot of love for the Charlotte fans that stuck in no matter what. Yeah, the 49ers surrendered over 400 yards of offense. We get all that. Also, kudos to them. Cut down on the penalty. This was one of the more penalized teams that you'll watch. Only four penalties in this football game. I don't know what type of punishment he inflicted on them to help them to stop with the penalties. And Charlotte also overcame going 5 of 16 on third downs in this football game to get the victory. How proud of you. Or how proud yep. are you of the 49ers? I mean, I didn't expect it to happen, Wes. Now look, when you are down 17 to nothing early in the second quarter, I wasn't confident that this team was going to score 17 points the entire game. Yes. Let alone with still a whole half to go for that Tulsa offense. And we've seen Charlotte's defense slip quite a bit after the victory they picked up a couple weeks back against DCU. You're discussing a team that had 10 points in just two weeks worth of time let alone trying to score 17 to come back and put 33 total on the board with nine in the four, excuse me, with 11 in the fourth and then seven in OT to get the job done. The first quarter was bad, but they got a little momentum going at the very end when you score that one yard touchdown run and you do so with just 29 seconds left to go in the second. You had some type of belief to go into the third and say, okay, even if our offense, (laughs) 10 points is usually good for a whole game. 
We got it in the first half. Trexler Ivy was throwing the football a lot better than what we had seen really up until probably week two from Ivy when they were still doing the whole split QB thing. We thought Jalen Jones might be the guy the rest of the way. Not to be. Ivy comes in and has 277 yards passing. The one touchdown pass. You have Rutledge go off for 92 yards. The big plays. Mack. Somebody that was there as, a, I believe, a Will Healy holdover. Mack had been in this program for quite some time. And he's the leading receiver. Somebody goes for over 100 yards. Yeah, man. I'm excited. I'm glad that Charlotte got this win. And I think this was... A monster win for Biff Pogey because things have been going so terribly wrong. You had the discipline, the lack of discipline following their loss to FAU. You had the suspensions and you go into a 17 to zero hole to start this game for you to come back out, go three and six now overall, two and three in the conference. No, it's not a great record. But, man, it's enough to stop the bleeding from the discourse that would have followed had that 17 to nothing hole you dug for for themselves. If that would have held true the rest of the game, then, yeah, who knows what we're talking about with Biff Pogey and his future. And so when you look at Charlotte, the rest of their schedule, they've got Memphis that right now sits at 7-2. and two. That's going to be a tough game for them to get. But they do get them at home. And then Rice and South Florida are both teams that are under 500 right now currently, both sitting at 4-5. and five. Do you feel like that this win is going to get them going in the right direction because um, – I think it could help. A comeback win like that, you never know what it could do for a team. Trexler Ivy, this could be the beginning uh, of a nice career for him. And so I'm going to say, yeah, I, I do think this will get them going in the right direction. Not to say that they'll win out, but I think that this team is going to be competitive. And I think they're going to get another win, maybe two before the season's done. But I'll definitely say I think they get at least one more win before it's all said and done. I, that, that's fair. Wes... <laughs> This team is wild week in to week out. Yes. I have no clue what I'm going to get. I don't even know who's going to start at QB every single week. (laughs) We're told that it's going to be Jalen Jones the rest of the way, but then it's Trexler Ivy because Jalen Jones can't throw. At first, when he does have his nice game where he was the highest graded, Trexler Ivy that is, at the beginning of the season, he had the game where he was the highest graded offensive player, purely a pocket passer. I thought he might be the guy the rest of the way, but he can't do it. And so now, at the end of this game, Biff Pogey is saying, yeah, he's a walk-on, and he's not going to be a walk-on for long. But then you go back in the middle of the season, remember all that smoke that he had for his QB during the halftime interview before he's walking off the field, how bad Trexler Ivy was performing. The defense, as soon as I think that I can rely on them to hold teams under 20 points consistently and not allow as many big plays, they allow big plays to Navy. They allow FAU to just throw all over the yard. So I, it's the most unpredictable team that I've seen with Charlotte. Like I just have zero clue. Part of because of what the coach is telling us, what we see every single Saturday, it's crazy unpredictable. I hope that Ivy is this good next week. I certainly hope so. But Wes, I don't even know if he'll play next week because of the thing, because <laughs> of the trend that we've seen. I would think he starts, and then he'll maybe has the bad performance for Jones to come back in. But, man, Trexler Ivy, shout out at least to getting the big win against Tulsa because that was huge and on the road, which uh, I, I think means something. Tell them you just got to take it week to week. But, listen, this past week we had Kevin Todd, Vegas Mistake, come on and say, put your Skrilla on the Tigers. I also went along with him and said that I think that Dabo's Fury is going to propel them to get this victory over Notre Dame. Fitty, run that Dabo sound that we've got. I mean, it was awesome. They were awesome all day. Uh, I think they had like four or five punts in a row. It was a great finish. Um, it's kind of been that 
accomplished. Speaking of fight, you said this team will not stop fighting despite adversity. What kind of fight did you see from a decimated offensive line? Well, listen, yeah, we had 10 or 11, star 10 or 11 starters out. You know, we've got um, Lyman in there, Trent Howard, <laughs> freshman Harrison against a great football team, and they battled their asses off today. And I'm really proud of We ain't had much to our way this year, but the one thing you that has shown up every week is the heart and the fight of Clemson. And I know we're down and everybody's throwing dirt on us, but if, if Clemson's a stock, you better buy all you freaking can buy right now. Let's go. <laughs> Listen, man, this is the year of football coaches getting get back. I mean, we've seen it week after week, coaches coming after they hear what people are saying about them. And so Clemson comes out for Coach Dabo Sweeney. He earned his 166th career win to pass College Football Hall of Famer Frank Howard for sole possession of the Clemson record for career head coaching wins. They improved to 63-3 at Death Valley in the college football playoff era. They've had at least one win against an AP Top 20 team in Death Valley in nine consecutive seasons. Then, according to Stats Perform, they became the first Power 5 team to defeat a starting quarterback five times since the Miami Hurricanes posted a 5-0 record against the Florida State Seminoles in games started by quarterback Chris Ricks from 01 to 04. Clemson committed zero penalties in the game, its first penalty-free game since committing zero infractions in the 1952 Gator Bowl. They won the turnover margin. And they got 186 rushing yards and two touchdowns out of Phil Moffat. And one trend for Clemson this year, they lost uh, games where they outgained the other team. But then in this game, they were outgained by Notre Dame, 329-85. Still got the victory, 31-23. Sam Howe, two interceptions, including a pick six to Jeremiah Trotter Jr. What do you think about this football game? And are you buying stock in Clemson for 2024? I, one, just going back to the soundbite, I like that Dabo worked himself up enough to have you buy stock. At first, he was <laughs> being very diplomatic. You know, it was great. We're going to fight. We're going to claw. We're going to do all that coach speak stuff. And then by the end, we finally got the true feelings of Dabo saying you need to buy all the stock because of this win against Notre Dame. Wes, if I told you that Cade Klubnik had a better performance than Sam Hartman? Mm-hmm. Despite throwing for 109 yards and one interception and one touchdown pass, even with big game Sam Hartman's reputation, <laughs> I would have had a hard time believing you. But it's true. This was always the fear about Notre Dame and their chances to beat Clemson. It was we've seen Sam Hartman go 0-4. 0-4 against the Tigers heading into this game. And they've had offensive talent. We've talked about it before. Wake, uh, West, your Wake team was getting disrespected in that regard. Yes. He's finally going to big old Notre Dame, where they're going to have a better career. They're going to have better weapons. They're going to have a better unit around them. And man, same old, same old Sam Hartman shows up. I don't like it for Sam. I want him to be better. I want him to be better for himself to make the transition into the NFL. Just because I don't like seeing somebody struggle as much, but man, 0-5 against Clemson, two key interceptions, 13 for 30, less than 50% completion percentage, and two turnovers that you cannot have if you're going to be, even this Clemson football team, it was a story that we were familiar with that ended up giving the Tigers that victory. Yeah, I'm going to buy stock on Clemson for 2024 just because history tells me so. And then I think that sometimes... 
you know, not to say that Clemson was complacent by any stretch of the imagination, but when you're used to being dominant, sometimes those times are going to come where you need that wake-up call, where you need that kick in the butt. And I think that's what Clemson has gotten this offseason. I think last year it was a quote-unquote down year for them, but they still won 11 games, still won the ACC. So it was still kind of like, eh, you know, we'll be okay. But this year I feel like they hit not necessarily rock bottom, but pretty doggone close. And I think that that's got Dabo and his staff, and I think they're going to go out this offseason and do the things that they need to do to be able to get themselves back into national contention. So I, I love that he said that post game. This team, you could tell I did the highlights for this game, and you can check those out on the ACC Digital Network along with all the other ACC action from this weekend. And I just felt from the jump that Clemson came out motivated. They came out ready to go. You could tell that they were inspired to come out and win this football game and they did get the job done. And really quick, Sam Hartman, he's got to go down as one of the most disappointing transfer portal uh, investments. When you look at what Notre Dame put into this situation, and I don't blame the kid for taking the money by any stretch of the imagination, but when you look at what Notre Dame thought they were going to get out of this, they thought the ROI, the return on investment, was going to be a trip to the college football playoffs, one of the nation's best offenses. They thought that old little old Wake Forest, he's making such a significant upgrade and that Sam carried the old Demon Deacons. Well, now we see that this is not the case. Yeah, he put up a lot of stats in Winston. He was fantastic. But there were a lot of games where the defense had to help him out. His only signature win at Wake Forest was against NC State. Every big game that he played in, he struggled. And we see this yet again. His ACC House of Horrors went right to Louisville, lost again, multiple turnovers again. Same thing at Clemson. Sam Hartman in Notre Dame's first five games, 70% completion percentage, 14 touchdowns, zero interceptions. 14 to zero touchdown to interception ratio. Almost 11 yards per attempt, and they go four and one. Sam Hartman in the last five games for Notre Dame, 56% completion percentage, four touchdown to seven interception ratio. Awful. Seven yards attempt, three and two record for the Fighting Irish as the competition went up. Sam Hartman started to struggle mightily so, Wes. And man, whew, you talk about a tale of two different quarterbacks from mm-hmm. the first five games to the last mm-hmm. five games. This is why there were some Wake Forest fans and some ACC fans that were a little hesitant to jump on the Sam Hartman bandwagon. That was often running, boy, at the beginning of this season. Yeah. And I get it. Like He was playing crazy. He was playing really well. But we needed to see it against the top-notch competition, and we didn't see it. And so now it's an all-too-familiar story for the former Wake Forest QB turned Notre And last thing, Irish. too, is that we saw it last year when Wake hid him from adversity when they lost games, not letting him talk to the media and things of that nature. And I was like, how is he going to do with going to Notre Dame where they expect him to get to the college football playoffs. And so at this point, you more than likely finish the season uh, unranked, and I'm sure Notre Dame fans certainly would love to get their green back in another way. I like Gashouse Earl saying, <laughs> I thought ROI was risk of interceptions. The ROI was high. <laughs> it was high for Notre Dame. No doubt about it. Well, when we come back on the Wesson Walker Show, we're going to talk about the Panthers some more. It's Scott Fitterer, the guy that has to fall on the sword for this season and the way it's turned out. That and a whole lot more on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The 
McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Weston Walker back on Sports Radio. You're listening to 92.7 WFNZ. Appreciate you, as always, for hopping on with us every single weekday from 12 to 3 p.m. Wes, it's the first one on the text line, but we finally got somebody defending either Bryce Young. We've seen some defensive Bryce Young on the text line, but I have not seen much defensive Scott Fitterer. We do have a text line defending general manager Scott Fitterer, and this is what it says. 704 writes in, I'm not ready to give up on Scott Fitterer just yet. When he finally gets full control of roster construction, what did he do? He cleaned house with the Matt Rule era players he drafted. I give him one more year to get the roster built up and to give Young the help he desperately needs. I will say, we weren't having the fire Scott Fitterer conversation last week, but it certainly changed when you have that bad of a performance where the offensive line isn't protecting for Bryce. Bryce himself doesn't look good. None of the wide receivers have a big game. Hayden Hurst, (laughs) it's funny because he has his longest play, and so does Bryce Young, by the way. Who would have known? The longest play from Bryce Young and Hayden Hurst, it happened in this game. But even so, there were no good feelings salvaged from that one play because it would be stopped immediately by a pick six, and the Panthers couldn't put but yet one touchdown on the board. So here's somebody defending Scott Fitterer. It does feel like that's the guy that's going to take the lion's share of the blame for how this entire season came about. Lots of people not a fan of Frank Reich. Lots of people not even fans of Jero Averro at the beginning. Now he's starting to play real well or coach real well despite some of the injuries that they suffered. But I think all roads lead back to Scott Fitter and then continuing to climb up the tree. If you want to, you can reach David Tepper. Lots of people have criticism for the owner as they should, but... David Tepper's not going to be gone, so it does seem like Scott Fitterer is that guy. But see, the thing for me is I don't want to keep going just one half and then do something else later. It's like, okay, if you're going to clean house, make it official. So give Scott Fitterer another year with Reich if that's what you're going to do. Let those two continue to work together for another offseason, see what they can do, see what improves, and if it doesn't happen next season, then you get rid of both of them and you start with an entirely new regime. But let's not do the fire Fitterer, then bring in another GM with Reich, and then if you end up firing Reich, then you still got the GM left just hanging around. Just get rid of them both. Let them finish this thing off together. And so, yeah, he's definitely made some mistakes. And the only grace I would give Fitter is that there was no accounting for this offensive line regressing the way that they did. We know the way that they played under Wilkes last season as that season ended. They were running the ball very well, protecting the quarterback admirably. And we thought that that was going to continue coming into this season, especially when you had all of the same personnel coming back. But everybody's regressed pretty much across the board. And there was no accounting for that. And there was no way that he would know that. And so um, any new GM, yeah, you're going to give them a little bit of a pass. Okay, well, they had so much work to do because it's like whatever new GM comes in, they're still going to have to fix this line. And the line still might not be improved next year. It still might not look the way – that you wanted to look, but I just don't think you should do one without the other. Let these two continue to go on. And then if you're going to clean house, truly clean house and get rid of everybody. I think that's 
Very logical. And in fact, we're getting a couple of other texts too. All it took was one. But now we're getting a couple of other texts defending Scott Fitterer. Jess's number one fan writes in, Scott has had one draft to himself. Thielen was a home run. The trade up for JJ was a disaster. Ease up on the pitchforks. You move on. MW, not defending Fitter, says he could have kept Foreman. Miles Sanders looked better in this game, but it absolutely has not gone as well as you would have hoped. Um, you can continue to read on some of this. Uh, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Yeah, here's uh, here are a couple people saying he has not hit on any draft picks. You know, just hit home runs on him. We talked about that. The defense is, it is there though. Because you're right. I think there is some incentive to not want to move on from the general manager because you don't want to just split it in half, as you mentioned quite a bit. I'm with you on the offensive line. Who saw them regressing to this level? They're awful. It's so bad. I I know that Austin Corbett and Brady Christensen being out would certainly hurt him. I did not expect it to be this bad even still. Icky regressing the way he has. That's been horrible. Taylor Moten. I, the most consistent offensive lineman on this squad has not been even great and everybody else around him. It's not been, it's not been uh, good offensively. Not many people surrounding Bryce young have been performing all that well. And so <laughs> it, it gets tougher and tougher as we go on with fitter having control over a decent portion of the Matt rule era players too, by the way, right? Like he was here scouting. He was here making deals during the NFL draft. And so he's not completely absolved. We know that Matt rule did have 51% say, and even this off season where we viewed it as one of the best in Panthers history, man, it takes a 180 degree turn. What you got on Scott Fitterer fitting. I was going to ask you guys, what is more damning the, the lack of success in the draft or failing to evaluate the right guys to put around Bryce young in free agency because miles Sanders didn't seem to hit Hayden Hurst just finally had his first really big pass play yesterday you hit on Adam Thielen but everybody else seems to be a miss I think that's where the frustration lies in just as much so as the struggles in the draft uh I would go with draft because draft is the backbone of any team and so when you can't hit on that that definitely hurts you and it makes you have to go out and take more risk in free agency and we know year in year out when you look at the NFL offseason and you see these teams that, quote-unquote, win the offseason, it barely ever works out that way in the NFL. The teams that win on a consistent basis, they do a rock-solid job in the draft year in and year out, and then they supplement that with the right free agents that fit their systems. And so with the Panthers this year, uh, the drafting just hasn't been great over the last few years. And then you look at the, the free agents that they brought in, yeah, they've missed on those, but the – because the drafts haven't been good, that's made the margin for error in free agency so slim. And so they've been missing on those two outside of a couple guys, mainly Adam Thielen. It's draft, no question about it. I don't I don't think it's even close. And I hear what you're saying with free agency, but I think there are some things you can point to and say it worked out with Scott Fitterer signing these players. We can go back to the offensive line last year. This is the problem with us not expecting them to regress the way that they did. Austin Corbett tears his ACL in the last game of last season. That hurts him. And that was pro he and Taylor Moten. Icky. I mean, the whole offensive line was fine enough. Yeah. I mean, they were top half of the league. Bradley Bozeman and Austin Corbett were your offensive line signings. Both came in and did an admirable job. You can even go back to, I believe Scott Fitter was here for the son Reddick signing. If I'm not mistaken. Maybe he wasn't. I'll have to look at that. Uh, that would have been I think right. It was his first season. Okay, that's what I thought too. But he was definitely a Matt Rule guy. 
Well, yeah, because they had the connection at Temple. Yeah. So maybe you do just put all of that towards Matt Rule, and Hassan was good for one year, and then you might even hurt, hold that against Fitterer for not bringing him back. But even defensively, Von Bell, Von Bell's battled some injuries. It hasn't gone as well as you would have planned, but Xavier Woods, it's a free agent signing with Scott Fitterer here. And Xavier Woods, after playing with the Cowboys for a while and the Vikings in 2021, Xavier Woods has been good for this football team. You can point to some free agents and say that they've been good signings, but the draft, there's a lot of misses all across the board. And even in trades too, there are three ways to improve your team, right? Trades, free agency, and the draft, Mm -hmm. two of which Scott Fitterer has really struggled with and free agency hasn't been all that much better, even if you can't point to some hits. No. And so that's going to be the thing this year. Now with true urgency in Fitterer and this crew, this off season, what it's going to have to be, that's going to be the fascinating thing to see how he does with that. Is he going to go out and make the moves now uh, that can do this? Because I looked at this season as a starter kit for Bryce. That's how I looked at this thing. But again, this was with the caveat of the offensive line, coming into the season at least being average. And so now that that's done, this guy's going to have to do yeoman's work this offseason with all of the things that he needs to get. And you can't expect him to hit on every little thing that he does. But this season, man, you're going to have to be, and I know in baseball it rarely ever happens, but you're going to have to be betting about batting about 75% this offseason if you're Scott Fitterer on everything that you do from draft into free agency. Else, You're going to be out of a job. Yeah, the three defenses I can see here. One, not wanting a half-hearted house cleaning. That's what we were referencing. Do you want to move on from Scott Fitterer and then keep Frank Reich? Do you want to just clean house entirely? Because that can't be good for your QB to have to learn another system going into his second year. You want to set up this QB for success, and I don't know if that's the best way to do it. Just fire Frank Reich, fire Scott Fitterer, and then move on. I don't want to see that again. The other defense I see is how many of these moves are made with David Tepper's influence. Bryce Young might have been the biggest one. I don't know about the other stuff. I I hope that David Tepper isn't influencing Scott Fitterer enough to say, hey, go up and trade for DJ Johnson. <laughs> if that's the case, then that's how I know for a fact David Tepper is too involved. Honestly, he's probably too involved with the QB. I can understand that a little bit more. But if you're in there saying, hey, draft Jonathan Mingo, I like his spark score, then I'm worried. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that's all Scott Fitterer. And this is the other thing. We mentioned the trade market. Adam Schefter reported over the weekend, Wes, yes. that the Panthers had a lot of interest from other teams in Brian Burns. In fact, this is the exact write-up. Quote, for the second straight year, the Panthers' star pass rusher, Brian Burns, was in demand before and at the NFL trade deadline with at least five teams inquiring about the two-time Pro Bowler, the Chicago Bears and your San Francisco 49ers. They were two teams that wound up acquiring other pass rushers before the deadline. The other three mentioned were the Jags, the Atlanta Falcons, in division, the Falcons were looking up Brian Burns, and then Baltimore. Those were the other, te- uh, other three teams, five teams total. No deal was made, and I will say in this write-up, we did not get any clarity on what was offered in exchange for Brian Burns. What do you make of this report from Adam Schefter that there were five teams in the NFL 
that were looking to acquire the Florida State product? Uh, for one, I think that the Panthers do value him, obviously. They did not want to depart with him, and I think that this is going to be a situation that's going to end up in them franchise-tagging him, which I think is going to lead to more frustration uh, from Brian Burns. And that's the thing. It's like you don't want to trade him, but you don't want to pay him. So it's like which one is it going to be? What was offered? Uh, those teams that were mentioned – yeah, they may be contenders and your draft pick will probably be low, but it would still kind of be like, you know, in, in in fantasy drafts when you get frustrated because you get the last pick of the first round, but then you get though that double pick. You get the, for, the last pick of the first round, but then yeah. you get the first pick of the second round. And so for Carolina, even if you are able to manage a first-round pick this year out of it from a Baltimore-San Francisco that could go far in the playoffs, but then you're going to get back-to-back picks of two quality football players because at this point, they need as many picks as possible, and they just don't have a lot of them. And so it just shows me how much they value Brian Burns. Um, I'm sorry. When I see the Chicago Bears as one of the teams interested, are you telling me that we had potential for a true Kevin Costner draft day scenario? Yes, you can get those picks back. I want my pick back. Give me the 2024 first-round pick in exchange for Brian Burns. And they could have been atop the draft. That would have been hilarious. I wonder what they offered. I so badly went in on that phone call. What I imagine, what what I hate, I'm I'm honestly disappointed that we have some context here because we know what they gave up to go get Montez Sweat, which is what I'm guessing they were offering to the Carolina Panthers. No, Scott, you can't have your pick back, but we'll give you a second round pick, but you can't have this first round pick. Because that's what was sent to Washington in the Montez sweat deal. That's what I guess probably happened with this Brian Burns phone call. But I really hope that Scott Fitterer went full Kevin Costner mode and asked, I want my pick back. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I want it back. And then you bring whoever the 2024 first round selection would have been. Do you think all those teams offered ones? No, I don't. That's what I think. That, that's why. That's why. That's why, why I hate having context with this scenario and knowing what Montez Sweat went for because we could have really had that play out. But I really think it was probably just a second rounder. There's no way the Niners offered a one because they didn't offer a one for Chase Young, who's a better talent. How how frustrating is it for Panther <laughs> fans? What? Just moving on. Look, that's that's fine. Moving on quickly. It's hilarious, right? Like I I just like the troll job. It's a nice troll job. It wasn't a troll. It was. It was it was an opinion. What was it? A third round pick yeah. for Chase Young? I think what, what with a condition yeah, maybe to be a second. Third. Anyway, back to my – how frustrating is it for Panther fans that the Chicago Bears seem to be buyers at the deadline? And, and, and they're a train wreck organization. And like you're not willing to at least get one of those trade one of those one of those draft picks back? Like, oh, it doesn't. But that assumes that this yeah. is the right move for Chicago. You think this is the right thing that Chicago is doing? Because I don't know if I see it that I, way. I don't know, but like, if you had a chance to maybe get a second-round pick back, you have two second-round picks that you can then mortgage to get back into the first round. You could take advantage of them being aggressive. So that, yes, that's not taking a page out of Chicago's. Yeah, no, but I'm just okay. saying, like, like, you had a chance to maybe take advantage of an over-aggressive GM in a bad spot. Well, because I still think we're more confident in the Panthers' future than the than the Bears, right? But but here here's what here's what Wes is not. Well, <laughs> here's what I think people need to settle down on with this Brian Burns thing, because it's been a wild back and forth between Brian Burns and Carolina. It has, but I don't want to trade Brian Burns for a second round pick. I don't want to do that at all. 
But what if that second round pick you could package to get back into a first round to get you? A, I mean, you're not going to get me you know, a Maserati Marv in the NFL draft, but a number <laughs> one wide receiver to get Bryce Young. Yeah, I think in this draft it's going to be hard to make deals like that because there's so many quarterbacks. There's going to be so many teams not willing to part ways with their picks. But the only reason I say that about the Bears is that I think I, I look at it like the transfer portal. Okay, the Bears are saying, all right, you know, who in the first round, if we're going to target pass rusher, who in the first round can we find that's going to come in and be better than Brian Burns? Who can we find that's going to be better than this guy? But then also, too, you talk about the situation they sit in where they could come in the next season where they've, they've made some nice additions in free agency. You could be looking at potentially Caleb Williams or Drake May as your quarterback in Chicago. So that's why I say I think that the Bears are kind of going on the right path. Well, and, and regardless, getting back to, you know, Brian Burns and whether he should have been traded for a second round pick. At the end of the day, we can keep it real simple. I don't want to trade Brian Burns for anything less than even what? 90 cents on the dollar? You were offered two first-round picks and a third from the Rams. Even if you think that's a crazy outlier, you were reportedly offered two high picks, two first-rounders from Philadelphia. I'm not trading for one single third, second, conditional whatever. I'm not even trading him for one second-round pick conditionally a first. I'm not doing that. That is a lot of value lost from last year. And even if you think it was the best thing for this franchise, put yourself in Scott Fitterer's shoes. If he trades Brian Burns for a second-round pick (laughs) after he could have traded him for two firsts and a third last year, then what in the hell are we doing? He would have gotten crucified. That's fire on the spot type of stuff. Crucified for that decision. Ain't no way I'm doing that. So the only reason that I'm not blaming blaming the Panthers for not trading Brian Burns here is that I have no clue what was offered. And if I do have a clue, it's because we saw the Bears and San Francisco only be willing to give up a second and a third. And if that's the case for Brian Burns, then no, just bring him back. Maybe the Panthers knew all along that this was going to be ugly and that they were going to eventually work out a long-term contract, but maybe it was just always going to be ugly. That's tough to swallow for all of us. We would have liked to have had this worked out before we got to this season, but Samir Suleiman, he is a hard bargain type of guy. We know that he is the capologist over there and he doesn't seem the fit, doesn't deem the fit that, excuse me, The contract, he doesn't deem fit with what Brian Burns is asking for. So we'll see how it all goes. It's Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Weston Walker off and rolling. Let's talk about the Charlotte Hornets and their weekend, seeing them go one and one overall. Sports Radio 92.7 FM. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. about over the weekend the charlotte hornets they got it done on saturday night how about that the hornets win and not only do they win but they get the victory off of a defensive possession by Lamelo ball they win 125 to 124 over the indiana pacers 
They would lose yesterday, however, to the Dallas Mavericks to go one and one over the weekend and back to backs. They lost to the Mavericks 124 to 118. Here's the storyline for me, though, over the entire weekend. LaMelo has not been shooting the basketball well whatsoever. It's been really hard to watch. Wes, we talked about it last week, how different he looked when you compare him to his healthy tape. Only 4 of 15 from the field against Indiana. So even in the win, not a good shooting performance from LaMelo. Mm -hmm. But what's the viral clip on Twitter or wherever you are getting your clips on social media? The viral clip is LaMelo locking Tyrese Halliburton down. And then celebrating like Gary Payton afterwards, as you said, Wes. (laughs) He was the glove. Maybe kid glove, but he's the glove. (laughs) Locking Tyrese Halliburton up. Okay, so that helped what was another poor shooting performance. Through three quarters against Dallas, it was a lot of the same. The Hornets were actually playing pretty well everywhere else. Except LaMelo only had seven points going into the final quarter of action. It was like, all right, this weekend just wasn't it offensively for him. And then he explodes in the fourth. And it goes crazy. Eight of nine from the field. Ends up five of ten from beyond the arc. Attacking, I actually thought, finishing at the rim, Wes. Reverse layups. Taking the contact and finishing through that contact. Real different. I don't know what it was, man. But the fourth quarter was crazy different for LaMelo. And yet, they still lose. I still view this weekend as a positive. There's some things they need to iron out. The sidelines out of bounds play, that was never to be. (laughs) Because Brandon Miller couldn't throw it to anybody. Nobody was open. It's maddening. The Hornets have had that history. And it is wildly frustrating. That half of the battle is just getting the basketball in bounds where everybody else just assumes that's going to happen. We cannot in the city of Charlotte, and that's unfortunate. But I do think that the number one takeaway for me is that there's a chance LaMelo is back from what he did over the weekend. Yeah, you could feel like his comfort level was getting up. Like we talked about uh, with him and what it was going to take for him to be able to do that with Terrence Oglesby. And so you felt like maybe the switch went on uh, in that fourth quarter with the way that he played. And the thing that was frustrating the most – Uh, even though he did get the stop on Halliburton, was just, okay, you're that excited about getting one stop at the end of the game. And granted, it was worth it. But where's that exuberance all game long to want to play defense? Like, that's the difference. The mentality of the team is like, when are they going to understand that there's two sides of playing basketball? You got to get just as excited about making shots as you do playing defense. I've said it all the time, but for anybody who hasn't heard me say it before, it was – when I had a chance to uh, talk to Greg Popovich post-game before he played the Spurs, and he talked about it, and even Borrego said it during his tenure, was that young guys don't get excited about defense unless they're making shots. And so that's the thing with the Hornets as well. It's like, when will they be just as excited about playing defense as they are making shots? And you look at this team right now, you're still concerned 28th and 3 point field goal percentage, shooting 30% in their 22nd and rebounding. And that's not a good recipe for getting wins on a consistent basis when you're missing threes regularly and then you're not rebounding the ball efficiently. Teams are going to be able to get back. You're going to create situations for easy baskets, fast break points, and things of that nature. But I guess you are excited with the split. You're glad that they were able to get one on Indiana, I felt like a game they had to get if we felt like this team was at least going to keep some type of hope that they could do anything. I mean, going to Dallas, they're number two in the West right now. 
five and one. We know what Luca and the crew and Luca didn't have a phenomenal game by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but Dallas just looked like more of a well-oiled machine uh, in this matchup. In the fourth, in, in the second half more so because Charlotte was doing everything right in the first half. They had the 15-point yeah, lead. Yeah, shot 57% from the field. And LaMelo was off again, yet everybody else was performing so well. Another strong performance from Mark Williams. How about him in back-to-back games? Certainly offensively. Big time. Nine of nine from the free throw line. Two crucial plays at the end of that game against the Pacers, hitting two free throws with about 2.30 left. And then the LaMelo alley-oop, which Doug Branson brought this up on Locked on Hornets, said it wasn't a great alley from LaMelo. Actually, one of the worst passes or one of the worst assists, if there is such a thing. But it wasn't really on target. It's just that Mark Williams has a 10-foot wingspan, and he's able to reach back and actually have soft hands enough to tap that in. Remarkable play from your young center. And then against Dallas, offensively, was showing his hands once again. Having what was a bad P.J. Washington pass in the fourth quarter, able to corral it after it pinballs off of a couple of hornets in the paint and then finishes, you needed every bit of it, and they would eventually lose by more than three. They had that opportunity. They can't inbound the pass. Yeah, there are a couple of things to shout. One, Mark Williams was one thing to shout for sure. One and one, I'm fine with. It sucks that they couldn't get that victory over Dallas. That would have had us feeling a lot better about this team. Second night of a back-to-back on the road against the Mavericks. They have Luka and Kyrie. You play really well defensively against both of their stars. Actually, just everybody else in the fourth quarter, they started to get hot. The other shouts I want to give, Brandon Miller had a tough shooting performance. He did. Against Dallas. Um, I thought first defen- stint as a starter. As well. Yeah, first start in Brandon Miller's career. Terry Rozier did not play in that game against Dallas, and so that's why Brandon Miller got the start. Four of seven against Indy, but three of 12 against the Mavericks. So offensively, just not hitting as many shots, starting to foul a little bit, but defensively, I thought, did play a little better. And this is what I want to get to first and foremost. I think P.J. Washington has been very good this entire season. I don't think he was very good against the Mavericks in the fourth quarter. I think he got kicked, and then he eventually sat. If I'm not mistaken, it looked like he got banged up, not officially on the injury report. I'll have to check again, but not very good in the fourth quarter. He has been very good overall this season. He hit about 80 floaters. Yep. In fact, (laughs) P.J. is in the top 10 of early season standouts when it comes to offensive efficiency among volume scores. How about that? PJ's in the top 10. I don't see any other name on that list that's worth bringing up, but I do see that PJ is number Go 10 on that. Go scratch yourself. <laughs> I love this. I'm not going to get in the middle of you guys as a war with the uh, big Ubi and PJ. Kelly Oubre might be number two on that list. <laughs> <laughs> there is no might be. That's the best graphic I've ever seen in the history of graphics. There's a couple of things at play because (laughs) Kelly Oubre and PJ Washington are on a list that's pretty damn impressive at this point of the season. And both players have been criticized about their efficiency and consistency. And yet both (laughs) of them are on the list. My guy and PJ is further down. Kelly, who is wildly inconsistent, is towards the top, only being beat by PJ or by excuse me, Paul George. That's it. They set a fire under uh, Ubi when they didn't bring him back. Man, he's gonna rip up the league. The other thing I love is that Fiddy and I, I think, are are fighting about PJ and Kelly on really good ground. Like we both understand what it is on the other side. But what's so great about Kelly, Wes? How many total assists do you think Kelly has so far this year? 
I want your talk. I don't know if you heard us talking about it. I heard y'all talking about it a little bit, but not enough to be able to fire it off offhand. Total assist this season, I'm going to go with eight. Fitty guessed three. And both of you guessed too many. <laughs> Kelly has two total assists this entire year. This is what I hate. I, I love the way that man plays. I do. Like, I understand what it is. But I still love the way that man plays. And yet here he is with Philly. And everybody's like, wait, why did this guy only get a vet minimum contract? We have a bunch of fitties in the world who are right right now. Who are right. And it's hilarious to see how it's all unfolding. I mean, back in the day, they would call that going for Dell. If he's not passing the rock, you give me the rock, it's going up. And it might be going in, it might not. Launched. I mean, he is <laughs> launching those shots in the air, but also doing it at an efficient rate. PJ, at least is having himself a nice start to the season, as we've seen early on. We'll talk more Hornets as the week goes on, but I want to get things back towards the Carolina Panthers conversation. The Live Wire with Josh Fiddy Marlowe. Coming up next, Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.